This is the Financial Coconut Podcast, Singapore's first personal finance podcast network. I'm your host, Reggie, aka your chief financial coconut, and every Tuesday, you'll be joining me on my personal segment, First Dips, where I bring you through some of the latest, most interesting ideas in the personal finance space, hoping you inch closer to the life you love while managing your finances well. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So a few months ago, um, on one of our AMAs on our IG, I think someone asked, are there other ways to go about making passive income, right? Uh, other than investing, right? Because that is the consensus today. You hold a decent full-time job or you run a decent-sized business and you're on the ground, you're doing all that you can, you're hustling, you're doing your jazz. And then you have some money sitting around, you want to make some passive income so that hopefully one day you can fire your boss. So what do you do? You invest in the market. This is the consensus, right? And I would argue that probably for most people, this is likely the easier method, right? And we can, of course, argue whether it's passive. But today, we're going to talk about some of the other ways that I have observed to work and I vividly experienced it to work, right? So we are going to talk a little bit about other ways to passive income on today's episode. Hopefully, it's still valid in 2023. Right? I, think, I think it is valid. Lah. So yes, welcome back. everyone, I welcome you to another day with the Financial Coconut. In our podcast, Debunking Financial Myths, Discovering Best Financial Practices and Discussing Financial Strategies that Fits Our Unique Life. You get it. Ultimately, empowering us to create a life we love while managing our finances well. I'm your host, Reggie, aka your Chief Financial Coconut. And welcome to my weekly segment, First Dips, where I hope to give you some of the leading, most interesting ideas out there in the personal finance space so that you can live the life you love huh? while managing your finances. Well, wow, what a big dream. And you tune in every week. Wow, very good. So <laughs> we're approaching episode 200. What should I do at episode 200? You know, maybe, maybe let me know if you're interested. I could teach you how to make money out of doing a podcast, right? Because I recently have been on quite a few panels talking about podcasting, you know, how to make money, how to sponsor things, what are the monetization methods and all that jazz. And I see all those faces, right? Even very experienced podcasters, jaw drop. You know, like, oh, you should, you never thought like that. Yeah, so yes, yes, yes. So I do have quite some insights to share. And if that is a way to make money for all of you, maybe, why not, right? Let me know. Come to a Telegram group. Let me know that you want this and I will make that the 200th episode of First Dips. Right, and following that train of thought, right? In that vein of discussion of making passive income, right? I first must uh, dispel this idea of passive, right? Because I think it has been taken down quite a crazy path in a sense that people, when people think of passive income, right, it's okay, you do this right, then uh, then don't need to do much. Then you let it roll. Which is, in essence, not technically wrong because it's relative to what you're doing every day. Every day, you go to work, you cha-cha, you do this, do that. You know, and then you're like, wow, tabletahan, your friends, your boss, your colleague, and then you still must smile at them. 
And then you go back, then you see your kids, then you got mom guilt, dad guilt, you know, all that, all that jazz, lah, right? So all those things are real. And to you, maybe from that kind of like full-time, full-length idea of work to turning into something like a four-hour weekly work or like two hours every day is relatively very passive already and you'll be very happy. And I think that is an okay place to think about passive income, right? To know that your work is going to be reduced, it's going to be a different set of work, things are going to be different. But to believe that it's going to like make this big break amount of money and it's going to like send you off on a huge trajectory, then you are underestimating the kind of problems that you'll face in scaling a passive income or even under-recognizing that it is not that passive. A lot of times, right, you're just automating a lot of processes either with tech or you're outsourcing to other people, right? So on your end, it is relatively passive, but other people are still doing. And if your other people and your tech gets very complicated, right, then you got to manage it also, right? So, so, so it, is, it, is, um, it is an interesting idea, very attractive, I understand. Especially when uh, you tabli tahan your boss, like, every day you see the face, you still got a smile, you know? <laughs> but you tabli tahan, it's like, oh my God, what are you doing? Right, so so I get it, I get it, but mm, just want to dispel this idea of like passive. Do one time, everything will roll. It will keep coming. It doesn't work that way. You must keep up with it, although um, at a lower pace. I do believe there is some validity there, right? But all on the basis that you're outsourcing as many portions as possible to other people, which is why investing is a consensus, right? Invest in the markets. You know, let the market zoo for you. And all that shenanigan, right? So it is what it is. You know, you you participate in the markets with the best practices that you've learned so far, low-cost index funds or value investing or growth investings, uh, whatever method you choose to use, uh, diversified portfolio, it, it is as long as it fits your narrative, your ideas, your goals, um, I think that is fine, right? As long as you can objectively keep recreating, then it works, right? To me, that is a successful system. A lot of people will say like, oh yeah, you shouldn't invest in crypto or you shouldn't like do growth investing. You shouldn't do dividend investing. Actually, what they are saying is that your goals and your strategies differ from theirs, right? But that, is, that doesn't mean your strategy is superior, okay? That just means that you need to realize if you can keep recreating it, there is a consistent element to your strategy and it meets your goals, then there is a recurring system. It is successful. It is fine. You don't really care about what other people are saying, right? And, and to me, that is the position that all of you want to be at when you're managing your money. But I know not everyone will enjoy digging deep into investing, following up with the latest trends, what's going on, cracking financial reports, looking through, you know, all the different, different stuff, right? And, and that there is a certain element of work to that, right? And if it's too sian for you, even more sian than smiling at your boss, then, then I, I get it lah, right? You, <laughs> it's not your thing and it's fine, right? As long as you find something that repeats consistently, it works for you, great, right? But yeah, some people just don't like investing lah. Hence the genesis of today's question. So since you asked, I will share with you my thoughts around what I think are some interesting side hustles that are not investing that can potentially give you um, decently good kind of side income, right? And, and, and I am moving away from those kind of like tuition, uh, you know, or like um, be a virtual assistant, uh, you know, or like those kind of, uh, yeah, UGC, like user-generated user content, those things are great. You, you can make decent money on your site, monetizing your extra time, right? But those things are still relatively quite active, right? So we're, we're really talking about what can we build 
such that eventually you you achieve this passive type of investing or passive type of income without investing in the markets, right? So, so I think that's kind of where I am coming from, which brings me to the very first point, you know, that I think could be something you play around with. It's not necessarily easy, but you can try this. So the first thing that I feel is a way of making passive income is called royalties, right? So uh, royalties are, are difficult to do, to be exact. It's not a walk in the park. It's not going to be like everyone can do it. Similar to investing, it's not going to be a walk in the park, which is why all these like, get-rich-quick you know, <laughs> programs are not going to get you anywhere. You know, um, Some may provide some insights, but generally, I believe um, they're they not sufficient. Okay, But, but that, that aside, you can join our academy. Our academy will, will not move down that path. Okay, <laughs> We will give you actual tangible things and then let's see where that goes. Right? But for royalties, essentially what you're trying to do is to build a brand is to build an authority in whatever that you do. And I know it sounds very jarring. It sounds very crazy, which is why I always like to quote this IG page that I love. That is called Pandan Pig. I don't know if you all know Pandan Pig. Is this very, very cute IG page. Right? I think they got close to 10,000 followers already. Is it just, It's just this person. I don't even know who is this person. There's no face. He or she goes around to around Singapore and then just like hunt down every single waffle and he has a very serious, you know, review of this waffle. Crispiness, chewiness, you know, like flavor, sweetness, everything, right? So it's damn serious. And to me, that is him building a brand that eventually you can royalty it, right? You can say like, okay, I am the Pandan Pig and then I have like 20, 30,000 followers on the IG. Now I'm going to work with a Kaya OEM, right? Some guy that pro creates Kaya and then you just sell them, you know, a licensing fee on it, right? So you, it's what we call royalties, you know, which can be mixed up with licensing. The, the general idea is that that means I have a brand. I'm not going to do any of the production. I'm not going to do any of the other things. But because my brand has following, how about you work with me and then I'll put my logo on your Kaya. Right? So I validate your Kaya. And, and if today I run Pandan Pig, right, that's what I'm going to do. Right? I'm going <laughs> to go and look for, who is that? Like, I'm going to look for Yakun Kaya Toast. I'm going to look for someone that I can get OEM Kaya with. Right. And uh, essentially OEM is white label manufacturing, right? So like you see all these people that sell coffee or like Gaia or like uh tea, a lot of them they don't produce it one, right? They work with a manufacturer that owns the same line. Maybe they the same manufacturer can be providing for their competitor. But they just put their brand on it and then they sell 3x the price because they are branded. Of course, they will change some formula within the within the manufacturers, but they don't produce any of that. Right? So that is, to me, that is a very interesting way. And I think at this point in time, there is a way to go about monetizing some of these smaller brands. You don't need to have like huge traffic, huge thing. You can have a 10, 20, 30,000 type of like IG account on the weirdest things and you become the authority figure in your space. And then now, yes, Pandan Pig releases Kaya. Right, okay. Everybody buy Pandan Pig Kaya. Right, so, so you, you know where I'm going with this? And you don't even need to build up the manufacturing. You don't even need to build up, you know, the, the kind of supply chain, which, which can get very complicated. You just build the brand. You just build the authority and then you sell this brand or you license this brand over to whoever that is manufacturing or whoever that wants to be associated with your brand. And then voila, it moves, right? Another one of our friends in the space, Satisfy, right? I think Seth, he created the brand to a point where I think he just launched his own credit card or something or he worked with a credit card company to launch a credit card 
you know, because they are synonymous with like, you know, mouse hacking and, and all that type of stuff, right? So to me, exactly, that's what is happening. Like even us, right? When we collaborate with like another bank or when we collaborate with Rice Media, they are essentially licensing our brand and they pay us a fee to be associated with them. Right, and I think this is something that uh, more people can do, especially with social social media these days. So it is really just about building a brand, having a community, and being like a thought leader and authority in the space, and also the weird spaces like Pandan Pig. Okay, I love Pandan Pig. Huh? so I one day I will get a Pandan Pig guy on our show, right? And I was like, "What the hell are you doing?" <laughs> but yes, yeah, so so do do that, and then with that you license it out. And if you need to learn more about licensing, please talk to us. And uh, We are preparing some content around licensing and royalties and I'll give you more detail in due time, right? So those things are coming. Um, but yeah, that, that is definitely something I believe that you can do on the side and take some time to build up, eventually getting to a position of authority and size to then license it out to get royalties. And just a fun fact, I don't know how many of you know, if you go and read Estelle Lauder's financial statements, right? And not just the not just the financial statement, like the, the accounting chart, right? But actually go and read the whole financial report. You'll realize that they license a lot of brands. Fossil, I think Dior, a lot of the other brands that you see at the uh, Isetan or like you see at Metro, right? All those brands that you see there at the perfume section, right? None of them produce their own things. They essentially just sign their brand away to Estee Lauder and then Estee Lauder produces the whole thing and then sell it at these kind of places, right? So licensing can come in many patterns, many ways, right? And it can get very, very interesting. But like I said, now this is not a walk in the park, right? And it's not like uh, immediately you'll get a result like UGC or, you know, uh, selling your extra time as a virtual assistant, no, none of those things, right? But if you do it, uh, consistently enough and you get some sort of attraction and you do all the best principles and best practices in the different platforms that they, whichever platform you choose, then yes, I think that is a, that is a way forward with these things. So yeah, that's royalties. I hope you build the next big brand and then you can license to us and we'll create content together with you, right? So, <laughs> and the next, next method that I feel is um, something that you can think of that I don't think a lot of people understand this thing and that is called consignment, right? So consignment, we'll talk a little bit afterward from our sponsor. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, you may not know consignment, but you know Mustafa, right? Everybody has been to Mustafa. The colloquial understanding is if you go to Mustafa, you cannot find that thing, right? Unlikely it's in Singapore, right? So Mustafa is everything, everything in Mustafa. I love Mustafa. And almost everything in Mustafa is consignment. In other words, Mustafa actually don't produce a lot of those things. What happens is other people would own the products, right? So you go to the handbag section or you go to like the... Uh, battery section or like tea section or like whatever section and then all you see all these products there right none of them are owned by Mustafa it's owned by another company or another bunch of people because I actually know one person that 
is doing consignment to Mustafa for handbags. Every month, racks in 10,000. Right? It's very interesting. Right? So, so, they own the things. Mustafa owns nothing. Mustafa sells it. So, as Mustafa sells it, um, they get a cut. Like, so, Mustafa will get a cut based on the amount of products sold. And I think this method works relatively well if you have a small starting capital and you're trying to bring in like an indie brand or you're trying to bring in like this kind of OEM, men's mass manufacturing stuff that you bring it in to Singapore, you bear the risk of the product, right? Essentially, you buy, okay? I will buy 10,000 hair wax, right? I have a friend who, who tried that. It kind of worked, but after that, he decided to stop it. But um, you, you bring in 10,000 cans or cans, bottles, packages of hair wax from a certain American brand and then you go around and you you talk to all these distributors, you talk to all these like Mustafa, la, you talk to the indie uh, warehouse people, la, you talk to wherever and then you, you put your stuff there and then they sell for you. As they sell for you, they get a certain cut. Okay? And you, your main risk is you bear the cost of the product. What, uh, what if the product doesn't sell? If the product doesn't sell, then okay, la, you hair wax for you know, I don't know, three generations lah, <laughs> But yeah, that's the idea, right? So, and I think this is something that you can try. And I think a lot of Singaporeans, right, you see, actually, it's not difficult to see one. You go to like Boogie Street at like, you know, 3pm, right? You go like Boogie Junction at 3pm, then you see a lot of the people down there. You look like them, you look like they're in their 30s, right? And then you wonder why they're walking around and like doing nothing, right? You know, um, there is a good chance that they participate in one of these kind of stuff, right? Consignment, they own something and then they just bring in the bags or, or, or whatever. Right? And, and I would say, if you are trying to play this game, don't get young, okay? Don't try to bring in something that does not move, right? Don't bring in something that is like, it requires a lot of consumer education. Like, you know, like hair wax, bags, you know, um, teas, you know, a lot of these things, right? Uh, consumer already want, right? So if the consumer already want, it is easier for you for the product to move and it's easier for the distributors, right, to carry your product and make it move. Okay, so, and the distributor will come in different form. If you work with big distributors like Mustafa, then there will be a certain type of cut, maybe 30, 40%, up to 60%, depending on who you work with. If you work with the more indie, like Haji Lane, right, uh, level two, those kind of distributors, then they may take somewhere like a 30, 40%, you know, depending on the product and the margins, right? So you can price it and you can work around it. Um, it can work. I've, I've met many friends that work. A lot of them gave up because it couldn't scale, right? And the scaling part is a different discussion, right? You can make small money out of that, right? And I think, I think that is the goal, right? The small little passive income and you kind of make it move first. Eventually, then we get to another phase and we'll decide like, okay, do we want to get this bigger, right? But this consignment method essentially is that, lah, right? You bring in a particular product that is already moving in the market and then you sell it to other people. They get a cut as they sell your product and you bear the risk of holding that product. And so if you think about it, there's not a lot of work, right? Because you, your risk, you hold the product, you will, you will store it somewhere, likely your extra bedroom, right? <laughs> For a start, it's always like that. You store your extra bedroom and then you go and find the sellers. And once they agree, you just stock up at their place, right? And then see whether the product moves. If the product moves, they will keep taking from you, of course, because they want to make. If the product doesn't move, then you headache. You better repurpose and then do something else, right? But the risk is managed relative to the amount of products you bring in. Right and yeah, how many distributors you you get on right? So that is the 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 way that I think most consignments will work. The bigger problem is when you try to scale, right? When you carry so many products that your your essentially your storeroom doesn't work anymore. You need to 
you need to scale up the supply chain and all those things then become very complicated. And that's a different discussion. And some people will say, oh, what about you? You do e-commerce, right? And all that. It sounds like it, right? You, you bring the product in and then you also put on Lazada, Shopee. Okay, if you want, why not? Go for it, right? But uh, I would say you put on Lazada, Shopee, all these other things, right? Not that there's a lot more work, but there's definitely way more work than just going to resellers that they will sell it, actively promote it and all that jazz, right? And uh, as you get into the business, you will get dirty and all that. You will learn more things, right? And of course, to be fair, it's not mutually exclusive. You can bring the product, do consignment, go to the big retailers or go to the indie retailers and you can also sell on Lazada and Shopee and I think that's what a lot of smaller businesses are doing. Right? So that is something that you can try. Just be warned, don't bring in too fashion forward, new things that are too far away from the consumer because there is a lot of money spent in educating consumers to pick up something that they are not used to picking up relative to the things that they are already used to picking up. This is a business side of things. Huh? Okay, so yeah, hopefully your consignment business work and then you can come on our show and talk a little bit more about it. Any questions, please come to our Telegram group. Huh? Yeah, I would love to interview some people. I think we are lining up some. Like, we are lining up some interesting people that do these kind of things on the side. And I think it's quite fun. As to whether it can grow to become a huge business, that's a different discussion. But in terms of the parameter of a small passive income or like a decent-sized passive income instead of investing, I think uh, consignment is something that you can explore. Right? Like my friend could never scale out Mustafa, but every month 10K, not bad one. Right? So it is what it is. And uh, we can have a more detailed discussion as we move down this path, you know, of small entrepreneurs and, and all that jazz. Right? I'm sure we will eventually talk about it. Right? Because I, I do think it's, it's a big part of of managing your personal finance, finding other means of income, and, and this is one of it. And this brings me to my third point of uh, passive income, quote-unquote, without investing, and that will be what we call rent-seeking. And I know every time I say rent-seeking, people will think like, huh, but I got no money to buy a house, to rent it out, and all that, or I, I, have, a, I have a HDB already, my mortgage already, like every month, two, three thousand, and then you still want me to buy another house and seek rent from that? I was like, okay, fair, that is a fair point. Okay, and to be fair, if you can own a few properties and doing rent-seeking, you will not be tuning in. Uh. Or, or if you tune in, uh, I will always ask you the same question, why you tune in? <laughs> I don't think I don't think you are our audience, right? But it's okay, it's okay. You're around, that's good. Stay around where we can learn about other things. Um, but I think there are many other ways to go about rent seeking. And one of the phenomenon of rent seeking is in cars. Right? For a lot of you, you don't realize, right? A lot of the COE prices are. Okay, I, I'm here to speculate, but I do know a lot of people, and I think that uh, a big part of why COE prices are getting more and more crazy is because of rent seeking efforts. Right, because there are a lot of middle people that uh, buy a few cars, you know, they set up a company, they buy a few cars, and then they rent it out to all the Grab drivers. Lah. And then the Grab driver go and drive, and then, you know, then they make money from, from their rent. Right? So, and, and that is one way of rent seeking. Right? It's very interesting, right? And there are many other ways to go about rent seeking. Cameras are also a big part of rent seeking. Right. Um, for us, like when we do production, we will rent some stuff. If we need rent lights, we rent um, cameras, we rent stands, you know, all the things that we don't have enough because we don't have it all the time. We don't need it all the time. We only need it for that short few days that we are doing filming and we're doing recording. And then we're going to rent it out. Long. So that is essentially rent seeking. So what I'm thinking of when I was talking about rent seeking right, is go and find some stuff that you know that people don't use it all the time, but if they use it, they will rent it from you and you can actually make that 
rent from that thing, right? So a few common things will be like, yeah, the more expensive stuff will be like cameras, video cameras, lights, C-stand, those kind of stuff. People also rent yacht for parties, right? And uh, I think that I met I met some people building a platform for that, right? Essentially to try to match the people that own the yacht that they don't always, oh, you can call it yacht, right? But I think it's called yacht. Right. Anyway, whatever. Right. Are more words. Huh? Very weird one. So you rent a yacht. You you. They will find the yacht owner, and then they will onboard the yacht owner onto their platform, and then they will find people that want to rent yacht for like parties or launches and all that jazz. Right. So essentially, that is rent seeking from the yacht. Right. So then think a little bit about what are some of these things that people will rent, and then based on that, can you then set up a structure where you fork out the capital upfront to own that thing. Right, or you take a loan on it and then you go and rent it out. And how many times you need to rent, you know, a month to make the mortgage or or the, the loan of that thing, or how many times you need to rent out if let's say you pay everything full cash, you buy a very good camera and then you rent it out. How many times you need to rent out at what price to then make the money back? And I think some of the newer rent-seeking ideas will be something like glamping, camping, like, you know, those kind of glamping, big tents, you know, or like barbecues, you know, just kind of like very party. I see a lot of people doing that, you know, that, um, yeah, it could be something, right? Either way, the, the idea is you go and look for something that people are willing to rent it for one time, like wedding gown. Wow, that one is like, Rent seeking since forever, right? You spend like 3,000, 4,000, make one wedding car, and then you hang it there, and then people keep coming and, and renting. Of course, uh, it's a, it can be, it's definitely a more sophisticated business than this, what I'm saying. But the idea is you can fuck up the capital, own that thing, and rent it out to people, you know, especially things that they would love to have as a one off or as a short period recurring, but not all the time. They don't need to use it all the time, right? So, I know like it's getting hard like, with property and like COE prices are mad. So cars, no, very hard to rent sick anymore because the capital upfront is crazy. But yeah, I'm sure you, you will know some other things that you know people would want, you know, especially maybe you work in the field or something. And yeah, you can own it and rent it out. And let me know if you're successful, right? Please come on the show and share with us the insights of how you do it specific in the product that you are rent seeking. So yes, um, at the end, I hope that you, as you make good money, you will also realize that uh, the society is circular, lah, right? So uh, profit is one thing, you know, try to realize that society matters too, right? So invest back in society and all that stuff, right? That's a different discussion, but yes, you know, as every time I talk to people about how to make money, right, I feel like I need to put out that caveat, you know, as you become wealthier, please do not forget where you come from and realize that, you know, you are not a self-made, right? Many people make you, even society, um, is part and parcel of how you become who you are. Yes. So, wow. So, wholesome are this ending. So, I'm going to sum up the three different ways that I think are the most passive uh, way of making income other than investing. The first one is royalties. Essentially, to build a brand, to build an authority and can be as uh, cute as the pandan pig, right? A small little Instagram account, close to 10k followers. And then, you know, how do you license it out to other people that would love to be associated with your brand? They'll pay you you know, royalty every every month, every year, or you put it on a product and sell, right? So royalties is one way to go about doing it. And when I say royalties, I know a lot of people think like, wow, wow, you're going to build some big brand. Don't need. Not all brands need to be big and like 
geeky and authoritative uh, in, in that sense, right? It can be many other cute things like pandan pig, right? So one day I will get the guy on. Okay, number two is consignment. Essentially, you go and look at certain products that people want. Don't try to bring in the new edgiest products because those things are very high risk. You got to educate the market, right? But certain things that people already buy and you go and bring it in, you bear the risk of owning those things and then you distribute it to all these consignees, right? The, whether it's Mustafa, some of the bigger distributors or indie distributors in Haji Lane, they will retail and they'll sell for you, right? So you don't really need to do much other than essentially go in and collect money, check the stock, you know, and all that jazz. But this type of uh, strategy may be a little bit harder to scale and we'll talk about that another time. But yeah, consignment is one way, in my view, to create quote-unquote passive income. And of course, the third one, it's called rent-seeking. And traditionally, people think of mortgages and cars, you know, but there are many other things that you can go about renting and uh, seeking rent from it, right? So you, you own it and your risk is owning that thing and then see who is willing to kind of rent it from you. And you make a relatively passive income. You're not very active in, in doing a lot of things, right? So at the end of the day, passive income, true passive income, absolute passive income, but you see the one that do nothing, right? doesn't really exist, right? But there are certain ways to go about making money that it's not totally just investing. And at the same time, uh, definitely takes up way lesser time than your full-time job. And eventually, if you grow to a decent size, yeah, it could feed you and feed your family, right? So, um, and if you are a success case, please email to us, hello at financialcoconut.com. I'm sure many people will want to learn the ins and outs of the platform you choose, the brands you work with, the things you do. And yeah, let's see where we can take this, right? So with that, I hope you learned something useful today. See ya! I hope you learned something useful today and truly appreciate that you took time off to better your life with the financial coconut. Knowledge is that much more powerful and interesting we share debate and discuss. So join our community Telegram group, share it on our socials, you know, follow us on our email newsletter, all that jazz. We are creating new programs, new shows and all that to help you fulfill the life you love while managing your finances well, right? So if there was one thing I could get from all of you, essentially go to our website and drop your email there, right? So that we can share with you the latest happenings and the many things that we are trying to build, right? So follow our email newsletter, head over to thefinancialcoconut.com. With that, yeah, see you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Okay, so I hope you find today's episode useful and interesting. Uh, there's definitely a lot more to discuss in every vertical, which we can uh, keep talking if you guys are very, very interested in it. Uh, or we can create subgroups, we can different, create a different show specific for certain things, which, you know, I'm discussing here and there. So let's see, huh? let's see where this brings us. But yeah, I hope you uh, find it a different view of how to look at quote-unquote passive income, right? And yeah, if you're a success case, please kind of talk to me. If you try and fail, you can also share with me what didn't work for you. Okay, so, so that's that for this week. For next week, I think what is likely going to happen is I will be 
uh, resharing one of the older podcasts that we did about recession, right? I think Brian came on to talk a little bit about like what millennials can do to plan for recession and all that. And recently, as I've been doing my rounds in the business development role, you know, talking to all these different other bankers and analysts and all that, right? A lot of people are talking about, you know, there's a good chance that recession is coming, blah, 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 blah. And I think like, okay, if that's the case, then why not we recap a little bit, lah, right? So we recap some of the best practices in the recession, what should you look out for and all that. And let's see if um, yeah, there are certain good ideas that you would love to share. Come to our Telegram group. Let me know. I can put together into another episode, right? So I will see you next week.